with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to another episode of Phronesis. And today, I have a newer friend, but a friend and We've kind of connected. I don't know that we've actually shared space physically, but we've shared space digitally over the last couple of years. And I have great respect for his work. This is Dave Fearon. And you know what? He sent me his bio and it's a fun bio. Uh, oftentimes we kind of get very, very stingy bios. This is a little bit different. So I'm going to give you a little bit about Dave. And then we are going to jump into our conversation today because he's had some adventures over the last few years on a very, very important and cool project. Here's a little bit about Dave. Practice is Dave's way of being. His practice? Irrepressible teaching before, during, and after the 50-plus years he was a professor. His subject? You. And why your practice matters to him, to everyone, and of course, to you. His medium? Wherever and to whomever digital takes him. Accordingly, his new digital first book with the late, highly regarded leadership thinker Peter B. Vale is titled Practice as a Way of Being, Peter Vale's Conjectures on Why Your Practice Matters. His long-running podcast that Dave originated with Peter is called Practice with a Question Mark. 
irrepressible because six years ago, Dave, who's an emeritus professor of management and organizational behavior at Central Connecticut State University, capped off 55 years as a successful management educator practicing leadership and how he taught and how he served colleges and communities as a dean and professor. Retired, Dave tried leisure, taking up golf and offering the occasional workshop, but he could not stop being a teacher. So when the call came from Peter, his own most revered teacher, inviting a chance to draw attention to practice as a tantalizingly undertaught but universally important question, Dave gave up the leisure, but not the golf. Now practice is Dave's practice, and it's all about you. Well, I, I think years. we're done here, aren't we, Scott? We've 55, got to kind of... Well, so here's, this is, this is the first thing that I just have so much respect, Dave. 55 years as an educator, and mm-hmm. you are, you, you had just mentioned a couple moments ago, look, as I kind of closed the door on my 70s, and you are just continuing to engage and learn and explore more than ever. Is that accurate? Yes, it is. And I will thank you first. Thank you very much for this opportunity. But also, let's thank digital. Let's thank Zoom. Let's thank all the wonderful, easy ways that this medium has allowed us to meet new people, to reinforce our, our relationships. It's, it's, it's truly incredible. Isn't I it? can sit here in northwestern Connecticut and be talking to you in Ohio when Peter and I started the podcast, we put on these earphones that folks can't see. Peter put them on. He was 83 when he put them on, and he was quite, quite uh, down on his health. And I remember him looking at me through this, peering at me through the, the screen, and he was saying, Dave, we've gone digital. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why my bio is so weird. It, it, um, digital, digital, practice, practice, practice. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, okay, so I want to go to a couple different streams of, of dialogue. But first, you know, you started this podcast. The two of you started it. You're still going. Talk about that, would you please? Well, in the bio that I just gave you to read, and the word is we're interested in you. And so if it was Peter and me interested in each other, then we brought on a few former students of mine and Steve Meisel, our colleague. And I noticed how Peter perked up. He just Mm. loved to have what we would call a practitioner in conversation. And of course, I have always loved it. So when he passed away, we were actually laying out a schedule of who we wanted to have these conversations with in that April, uh, right after he died. And and so I thought, hmm, first I'll keep them going to honor Peter. But also I realized that as a matter of research, small r, anytime, and you know this because you do it, you have these spontaneous conversations. Wonderful things pop out. Yeah. I just like never would get it if you were looking at an edited journal piece or from a research standpoint, if I can sit here and digitally connect with over 100 people now, that moment to find these little gems. I've just finished editing one last night. My eyes are still red from it. But, uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, was, it was a young one of our colleagues, Gordon Schmidt. Who oh, was, uh, wonderful. Yeah, very active in the Society for uh, OB Teaching. He's got a book out with a colleague on Marvel, M-A-R-V-E-L. Yes. 
What a gem. And, you know, by the time I finished that conversation with him, I'd learned a half a dozen things. Exactly. So your question is, why, why do I keep doing it? It is very energizing. And I get a chance to write these sort of little word poems and portraits of people as a form of art. And it's so it's, I'm going to put a link to our conversation so people can get a taste of that. Cause we, we spoke probably about a year and a half ago, maybe it was you were it, one of my earlier episodes, you know, it it's when people ask me about the podcast, they say, you know, what, what are you getting from it? And, and, and tell me about it. And maybe this will resonate for you. I think of it as like six or seven wins. First, I'm I'm learning. It's kind of systematized my learning because I'm always asking people, okay, what have you been reading? And then that goes into my Audible wish list, and so all. Of, so it's systematized my learning on on kind of a number of different levels. Mm-hmm. But then my network is built. I'm having conversations with people all over the world. In some cases, I should have no reason to be in dialogue with them, but I am. And to your point, I loved how you phrased that. There's little phrases that people have used that have woven their way into my life. Mm-hmm. Shoba, I had him on former Dean of the college of medicine at Dartmouth. And he said, look, this is a, this work is a mountain without a top. And that just, <laughs> it, it stuck with me. Right. Or <laughs> Doug Lindsay said, look, he, he actually was a quote from Bob Hogan. who said, look, who you are is how you lead. And that that's something that has just kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so it's led to writing projects. It's led to friendships. It's led to me exploring topics I never probably would have would have really known much about. I yeah. thought I knew about the topic of leadership, but no. <laughs> no, that's that mountain without the top right there. That's, I'm going to borrow. I'll borrow that one. It, it's, uh, I started thinking I knew about leadership when I was a little kid. You know the YMCA and all of that, and uh, here we are still scratching heads. But uh, and, and Peter worked for years and years trying to fathom leadership. But I, I want to add, though, first, uh, uh, what you just said, Scott, means to me that this is a wonderful way to become an ever better teacher. Mm. Yes. You know, the, the modeling of, of that kind of curiosity, the energy, the, uh, the networking, the things you've done with your leadership uh, program for the collegiate com- competitions, all of that works from the inside out. Uh, and it'll push you in a position when you finally reach my age where you're going to be able to say the same thing. I may stop, you know, I might have retired, I might have gotten some honors, you know, hang the emeritus on. No one in the world really knows what emeritus means, but, <laughs> but, I, but, th- but then you're going to keep on. You're going to find a way. So here's the good news digital is never, is the, will be our universe going forward. You can always find a person or a group with whom with whom you can interact in a teaching way. That's yeah. the good news. And the other thing is you need something that, that's always going to be there. For me, when Peter pointed it out, practice is always going to be there. Mm. The three guys I played golf with today, I watched how differently they played, having you know played more years than I. And so I was watching their technique. I was also watching how these three guys will always play together, get along. I was always seeing if they would incorporate me you know, in the foursome, even because I was kind of asked to join. So there's always a subject of of real interest. And there is a small literature on practice, a huge one on all the theories that are out there. But I'm beginning to see people like Joe Raylan 
and others who are looking at practice in altogether new ways and leadership in altogether new ways. And that makes me feel like I'm part of something. And the OD people, for sure, it makes me feel like I'm part of something. And hey, otherwise, it'd be lonely as hell out here in Northwestern <laughs> Connecticut, much as I love my wife and our cat. <laughs> so let's let's go there for a second, Dave. I think at times really clarifying how we're defining practice is important. Is it practice like I'm on the golf course and I'm practicing my swing? Is it practice as in an attorney practices medicine? Mm -hmm. Uh, How are you thinking about the term? Because I've even heard at times people use practicing with an S. It it can be, this is a a realm I haven't delved too deeply into, uh, Joe's work. So talk a little bit about that. We have 32 conjectures on practice in our book on practice, and they're all conjectures. But what what Peter started it and I worked when Amplified was this notion that like many terms that we can use in a dozen different ways, it almost seems to have lost its, its, its real meaning. But when you delve into it the way we look at it, it starts, I think, to become very, quite fascinating. It's basically the way of thinking uh, about practice that we use to anchor all of these conjectures was that it is first and foremost a choice. Okay. A person makes a choice among all the things they can do with their time in life to pursue a stream of results. So it's very much focused on the do. It's very okay. much focused on, but ever increasingly challenging results. Okay. So I choose to play golf (laughs) as a not very good golfer and certainly not an athlete, but I made the choice. I could have given it up in about a week, you know, like I did when I was, you know, 35 and said, Oh, I don't have time for this. But once I made that choice and then I started to see little incremental results. So that's the next part. You get the results now in ever changing conditions, circumstances, constantly changing. That's Peter Vale's whitewater. So while I am focused on becoming better at something, ever better at something, I've got conditions to deal with. And we know as teachers of leadership and organizational behavior, that those conditions are largely social Mm -hmm. and are more complex than the human mind will ever grasp. So imagine now the wonderful journey someone's making, assuming they're going to continue to get better, no matter what the conditions the payoff in our way of thinking is your practice then will take you into a context and land you in a moment of time, just like us right now. Mm. Now you're in a context. And now we teach kids, kids, anyone under 50 is a kid. <laughs> so that's well, me. I turned 50 in, in, in October. So, so all right, kid, you got, a, you, you got a few more weeks ahead of you. But you know, but what will we teach these kids? We yeah. teach them to be situationally aware. We let, we teach them how to read the the conditions in which they are placed in the moment we call them managerial exercises you know we do these like your leadership challenges for your national competition we want these kids to realize that once they land that's where they can action is going to take place they are the source of the action they also get pragmatically immediate feedback yeah. on whether they made the right choices or not so practice uh, from that point on is anyone i'm looking at who seems to be quite serious and persistent and maybe even having a bit of enjoyment when they land a particular result, like you even see it in in your own daughters when they actually finally 
break through and have a moment and a huge joy, now that's when I'm hooked. And so if I can help people be encouraged to keep trying, no matter what the dismal situations we've all faced, you know, I don't know any other better way to use my time going forward. Talk about some of the conjectures, would you? Because you just finished the book, correct? Yes. This is a cool thing about the book. I had an opportunity to build the book as an app in a digital platform called mylibrary.world. At first, I was nervous because it wasn't going to come out, you know, in paper and, and be on a shelf. And now the good thing about the book is while all of it is finished, every word that Peter wrote in his raw manuscript, we have set up in his 32 conjectures. That part is done. But anything I wrote in introducing each conjecture, I can go back and and change if I want to, because it's digital. The other piece is that now we have the the toolkit so I can start putting links into each of the conjectures, a link to a podcast, a link to one of your articles. I can make it more uh, an enriching experience. I mean, it's a new medium by which we can convey knowledge, but it's something that's continually evolving. It's not a static. Exactly. And it's, you're- it's like, it's like practice itself. It really is. I'll, let me see if I can give you a quick screen share and you can actually see it. Yeah. So this is, this is what the book looks like. It doesn't look like anything you've written, does it? No. <laughs> uh, tell the folks what you see here. I see a dashboard and it says why your practice matters, curiosities of practice, the nature of practice, beliefs and myths about practice, the practitioner and practice systems. So So if I click on any one of these, these these are the the way the conjectures come out. Okay. So 14 through 17. I'll just read a few for the folks. This is how Peter's thinking. and, And, you know, his way of thinking is, and everything he's written, learning is a way of being, management is performing art. They all have a wonderful essay tone, a prose, almost a poetry in the way he, he would write, as well as being a, a extremely well set in, in scholarship. So let's just say practice is very interactive. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah. So you click on that and you'll see that in italics uh, is my setup for the uh, what Peter writes. And I, I look at the way you do when you were set, you're setting up a moment in your class. You give it either digitally or you do it verbally and you say, okay, this is what's going on. So I kind of give a little preview, pay attention to this and that. And then we read Peter. Now, this one is very short. So he says, and practice is very interactive. One of the most important and interesting things about practice is it's interconnected, it writes Peter. Some practitioners talk of their practice as though it was a free-standing thing that they possess, something that could be bought and sold. There probably is a practice whose focus is placing a dollar value on other practices. The perception (laughs) of practice as a free-standing thing came to a poignant focus for me some years ago, when at the end of an MBA class on interpersonal relations and group behavior, one of the ablest and active students came to me uh, after the offering and said, you know, Professor Vale, when I get out, I'm not going to have any of these problems with people at work. All of these problems of misunderstanding and conflict, all this time and effort spent on sorting out human relationships. (laughs) Why, I asked the student, he said, because it's going to be just me, a secretary, and a terminal. (laughs) And this was Peter Vale. This is, see, he was my teacher, as I mentioned, probably in our first conversation. 
he was my teacher, my doctoral teacher at University of Connecticut. I was 27, 28 years old when I started in that program. Really, I was a kid. Yeah. And I met this person who would pick up on things like he just quoted here and remember, remember that conversation for many years. He mm. seemed to be so in tune and so interested in what I knew as much as I was interested in what he knew. And that sort of became my way of being a teacher, why I was particularly hooked on it and, and kept it going for 50 plus years. Mm. So that's, that's what it, uh, folks, that's what the new digital book looks like. You, you can just flip through and, it looks like a, just a little bit of writing, but Scott, you well know it's a hell of a job. Oh, to, sure. you know, to get it to get it just right, proofread, copy edited, proofread again, and I suspected if I was starting to read anymore, I would come across the one little thing that we missed. <laughs> you see, we can change it in a digital book. <laughs> well, that's the good thing, right? You can. Yeah. So, and and then again, you've got other resources kind of built into. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you real quick. Yeah, so there's other resources that people can tap into, which again, yeah. it's been wonderful as I've woven in podcasts into my teaching or documentaries, or just other other ways to communicate and convey information. It just yes. complements in such a nice way, right? Your students um, are seeing who I call the the new new professor. Uh, you you are you know the next generation in in, in our field, and uh, I I immediately noticed when you became active on LinkedIn and. and and in other ways. And, and I thought, now there is what our students should see. They mm. should see us in the same community where they hang out, which yeah. is social media, you know, with universal access. And they should see us in conversation with people who are serious scholars and then less serious scholars like Dave Furon, but they should see that. <laughs> And really, I mean, they should see that, you know, they might think that we are all pretty much, uh, you know, academic snobs and that we we won't even speak about a theory unless it's been journaled, you know, in the best journals and all the rest, which is which is important. And they should know that those sources are there. But we also know in reality, as will they, that we are action learners, too, that we like to pick up on things and uh, particularly in the organizational world, because it's, uh, it's, it's fun and interesting and scary. And, and you said a word that has just become my favorite word, which is curious as to your point, as everything is shifting around us. And I, I just think in, in, in more recent years, digitization, globalization with those shifts come so many seismic adjustments that have to be made. And, you know, I was working with a large, a large automotive company in recent weeks, and they are really trying to figure out what do we hold on to that are it's incredibly important to the DNA as to who we are and, and where are we headed? Cause it's that uh, Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here won't get you there. That's and right. it's complex. And in some cases fairly chaotic out there, when it comes to 
what is our strategy? How do we move forward? How do we proceed? This just happened. Oh my gosh, that's a thing. Yes. Oof. Okay. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. And and so those are those are right on. And you've yeah. just you characterize what I think is very familiar to a lot of us. But you've also given an example of of how I believe leadership happens. Yeah. I think leadership is summoned. Mm. Summoned. You know, like come on out. And and it's summoned by genuine questions. You, you can almost tell when you're getting a sort of a yeah, what do you think question versus, hey, you know, the, the stuff is on the fan blades, you know, yeah. and, and 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 the best ideas will be considered as well as the worst. Is it, there's a a moment when when people will actually listen uh, to someone else and get some clues and maybe change their behavior. But in my case, I've never, you know, how we being a Mainer, one of our phrases was, well, you can't push a string. <laughs> you can't push a string. And I think, what the hell does that mean? We'll just try it. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you can't push a string and you can't force your leadership on others, even though we know uh, it's been tried in a very disgusting <laughs> way <laughs> by a former president, but you can't push a string. So what is it? What makes leadership come out of you and me and, uh, and, and anyone else? And, and it is a summons, and it's usually summoned by a, either a personal question being asked, or there's a sort of a universal question that's always there, too. You know, that, that, and I think that's where Joe Raylan and some of the folks in leadership of practice are, are going. They're, they're getting a sense that things that people do together constitute leadership. And why are they doing it together? It's, it's almost impossible to see why, but they're moving. It's yeah. like watching the proverbial geese, you know, in flight. And yes. why, how did they know who, who you know, how, who got to be the front goose and who got the goose? Get goosed at the end, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it is a fascinating subject that you're you're focusing your your podcast on, and your and your much of your your work. I've never heard it phrased that way. When a, one of those quotes that again back to the snippets that just stay in my mind was Ron Riggio. Maybe it was episode five or six. He said, "Leaders don't do leadership; it's co-created." Yeah, and and then that makes me think of, you know, Ron Heifetz and some of his work about when you're navigating adaptive challenges or in incredibly complicated, or I'm sorry, incredibly complex or chaotic situations, I think at times as leaders, we think we have to have the answers when in, in reality, I think the great leaders need to be asking the right questions. And, and I yeah. love that phrasing that you just used of, of it being summoned. And again, leadership is another area, at least in my opinion, where language fails us in some ways. Because yeah, it does. So... It's like practice. It's everyone knows the word, but they don't know what it means. Yeah, they can't yeah. agree on what it means. Yeah, yeah, but but that... but I think leading itself could be a form of summoning. If you if you look at it from a, who are our eyes as teachers, yeah, what are all of our questions about the ones that are formally posed in exams or, or anyway, we're constantly questioning to, to ad nauseum sometime. But in that sense, what we're doing is we're giving the students an experience and having an idea that could be formed into an answer shaped by several into an answer. And they need that experience over and over again for their whole life. So mm -hmm. when we are uh, not giving the answer in our, in our, as a 
you will do this and you will do that, but giving uh, really good questions that you you don't particularly know the answer. You, you might know a little more than they. It, it, it's a much different experience. I remember reading uh, Kyle Wyke's uh, work in organizational learning, and, and he talked an awful lot about the unspoken question and, mm. the, and the answer through behavior because he observed these firefighters. Once we delve into this, of course, we'll make the listeners absolutely crazy. They'll go like, <laughs> click. All right. What else do I want to listen to? Is Gilbert Gottfried still doing his podcast? No, I'm, I'm sorry. Gilbert passed away. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm, I'm going to kind of stick with this questions theme real quick. So I was at the Management and Organizational Behavior Teaching Society conference this summer in Pomona. And I was at lunch and, and it was it was one of those moments that you were talking about a little bit ago, these those moments that just really stick out. And a, a fellow colleague of ours who's an educator in Pennsylvania, she said, I love my questions. And we were talking about teaching online and having students respond to certain stimuli. And about, wow, that just set the bar in my head because it made me think, wow, do I really love my questions? Do I love the, the, the questions that I'm asking the students and are they really good questions that will stimulate really incredible responses and perspectives and thoughts and insights. And I don't know that they're there. They're not there, in fact. But I think in some ways, leadership, are your questions the right ones that are going to catapult us forward, that are going to get to the heart? I mean, that's a, such an important piece of the work that I think a large faction of people don't think about when it comes to the topic of leadership. That's something to practice. Can you identify great questions that you love transform the organization? It's a different paradigm. Would you not see that if you set that as one of your practice goals, that yeah. uh, you know, formulating either enhancing your practice as a teacher or even saying, okay, I'm going to We've talked, Peter and I talk about that you can have multiple practices and sometimes they're complementary. Yeah. But if you took that one, Scott, which is beautiful, and just said, I was inspired at lunch by a fellow uh, practitioner who said, I love my questions. Now, why don't I set a stream of results, asking and testing and asking testing questions, sometimes with others, sometimes on paper, but watching and from a research standpoint, what the responses are. Does it elicit change? How does it work? So being coming an excellent questioner is a very uh, compatible <laughs> way of being, don't you yeah. think? Uh, oh, oh! I think as a parent, as a teacher, as a leader, oh, yeah. I think in all aspects of life, as a conversationalist, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I have friends who are just incredibly skilled at, and I don't know that it's intentional on their part, but the, a conversation can flow for long periods of time based on just a couple wonderful questions that started us off on the dialogue. And then I have other friends where, you know, they struggle to keep the conversation flowing, you know, even yeah. something as simple as, how are you? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, it's really top of mind for them. <laughs> do you know something that I don't? <laughs> yeah, when a doctor asks you that, you say, well, I'm paying you to tell me the answer to that. <laughs> but, but there is, a, the, Dave, my son Dave and I, we've done uh, quite a few of the podcasts. We we have a framework for this called an action, social inaction, that, that he 
developed when he was working on his doctorate. We talk about conversation itself, and he is, his studies, when he was very intensely doing it, was to basically do conversation analysis, go down to, you know, word by word exchanges, wow. and documenting, you know, and with video showing where there's a moment after which there's change. So mm. it's that is it's really that molecular. But when you're looking at practice itself, practice is interactive. Yeah. As, as, as Peter said, no one really sits in an office and does the whole job with a computer. So what are the one of the natural ways that we keep ourselves all together and going? It, it's, it's conversation. And then he breaks that out in, in terms of an action through you know, first getting the meaning and, and getting and, and a bit of accountability. Yes, I understand what you're saying. Uh, you're nodding. But then the payoff, as his study went, is it forms relationships, yep. which then can become strong enough to be bonds. Yep. And once you have those social bonds, now you can ask the more difficult questions and, and expect that the trust level is going to allow you to get some more profound answers. And I think that's what we're all going for is, you know, let's get some better answers when you'll get them if you can keep a conversational skill set. When I'm when I'm talking with with colleagues or students or friends about this, it's for me, it's about two things. I'm asking questions to do two things, to learn or to find a connection. And I might be with someone where I know very, very little about what it is they do but I can, it's an opportunity to genuinely learn. And, and I'm curious and I love learning about any number of different topics that I don't have any knowledge of. Yeah. But then I also love it when I can find that commonality, I can find that source of, of, of similarity. The other day I was with an executive and, and I said, you know, we're going, we're on our way to Alaska and Oh, he loved Alaska. And we just floated on that dialogue for probably 10, 15 minutes and to yeah. your point, it just greases the skids and we just move forward because there's that connection. So I'm learning, I'm trying to find that connection. And sometimes it's both and it's wonderful. Sometimes I'm just learning, <laughs> but both are good, right? And it's authentic. It is. And I, and I, and I tell you that your Alaska story reminds me, you know, you can tell I grew up in Maine because everything reminds me of a story. Yeah. But that, I think that's another way that this works because where are you from comes to be a very common thing that we, we end up asking each other where I'm living now. No, where, where are you from? So you get back to roots yeah. and you get back to someone who will say, Oh, Maine. Yeah. I used to vacation. there, So I got that one. So, okay. We're already got something going here. <laughs> and then you say, where, where did you go? I don't remember the name of the town, but it was near some lake. Well, that, boils, boost, it down. Yeah. <laughs> that boils it down. Oh, was near was the ocean. Bay. There was a bay. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> but so, you know, I think what, when I've noticed you, you make, you make me feel very much at ease too. And I think that that is also this, this genre of podcasting is not for everyone. I've, I've mm. cautioned some people who really want us to get very structured. And, they, yes. they, and, and then I've had some people ask me if I, they could be on my podcast because they essentially want a lecture. They want to, they've got a book to promote. And I, I, I kindly say, look, I'm more interested in you. We'll certainly talk about your book, but I'm interested in you. Yep. So if, if you're okay about talking about you, 
you'll get a chance to, to promote the book, but we're not just, there are other podcasts that just do that. You've, yep. you've had that experience, haven't you? When, oh, for sure. For sure. I've had guests who, yes, they just want to come on and talk. And, and literally it's a monologue or it can feel that way. Oh, I don't like that. And, and I also have had the instance where, you know, someone wants to know exactly what questions and that just doesn't <laughs> feel as organic for me. I've, I've, I've worked it in a few times where I've said, okay, here's the general flow, but mm-hmm. you know, we might get on something new and we can edit if we need to, but it's, it's, it is different. I always, I always love in some ways not knowing as much where the conversation is going to go. Cause to your point from earlier, for me, that's kind of where some of the magic is. You know, I, it, right? it, it definitely is. And, uh, <laughs> and no, but look, let's go to the word curious one more time because I'm, I'm not watching your clock. I should be, but, but I, I'm trying to, uh, but, but, but let's look at that word curious. You know, the, if you were in curious, not curious, and only and didn't and hated surprises, you would definitely not do do podcasting. <laughs> you, know, you can you could uh, you know make presentations at the Academy of Management, you know, with yes. lots of slides, a whole deck, <laughs> no room for turn Q&A. the lights down and and open yeah, up yeah, the slide here, deck with boom, sixty boom, slides. Boom. Yeah, as I say here, <laughs> <laughs> I know you can't see this, but. <laughs> But curiosity is why I think you're, in a, you're attracted to the Management Organization Behavior Teaching Society, why I was too, and why those campus June meetings, yeah. which I went to for many, many years, were so magical. Yeah. Because, well, for one thing, we always wore the T-shirt that you could be sitting next to a highly published thinker, and he or she would be casually dressed. We had a lot of cultural rules basically saying, you know, leave your your title and your ego in the car and come on campus. Let's be teachers, but let's also be learners. And let's see what we find out. So yeah, things got structured more over the years, but basically there was still that moment where you had that lunch with a person who gave you a really good line. Dave, so as as we kind of begin to wind down, because we're at 40 minutes already. I mean, it's yeah. flown. What are you reading right now? I know you've been doing a lot of writing, so maybe you haven't been reading much. But is there something that's caught your eye? Maybe you've been streaming or listening to or a book you picked up that you would want listeners to know about something that has caught your attention in recent times? It could have to do with what we've discussed. It may have something completely nothing to do with it. Well, did I mention I was retired in my bio? <laughs> so I don't do much of the, much of that really uh, serious reading with you know stacks of other people's books, but I, yeah. I but I still do, and I'm more I'm more of a auditory and uh, a viewer kind of learner right now. And let me mention something that I mentioned briefly yesterday with my podcast with Gordon Schmidt. There is a really really good season one on Hulu called The Bear. Oh, okay. I haven't heard of it. Oh, it <laughs> for us, you know how we like to teach film from film. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. It's a, a beautifully done. It has a documentary feel to it, but it take it actually was filmed in uh, in Chicago in a in a real restaurant called the Beef. Okay. But I, you don't get to know why they call it the Bear until you get to the last episode for the okay. season. But the the point of bringing it up is that it takes you 
out to the kitchen in this little place where, you know, people traditionally come and get their beef sandwiches and go back to work. But behind the scenes is such a gripping story, but it, it, you can see each behavior as they're trying to go from a failed, really sloppy mess that this guy's brother left him when he committed suicide to where they're actually referring to each other as chef. And it's not a, a Disney ending either. It's not like everyone suddenly has bluebirds flying around their heads. Yeah. But, and there's a lot of lovely foul language, <laughs> but it's real. It's so real. The acting okay. is so real. And, yeah. uh, and, and so from a standpoint of on what we used to say, debriefing or unpacking those kinds of things, if I were still back in the classroom, that would be, that series would be on my syllabus and okay. we'd be talking about it. And we'd be looking at different characters and saying, well, what about the, the young African-American woman who really aspired to be a wonderful chef uh, who followed this guy because he was world renowned, who came back to save his person. And what about her behavior as she's being very assertive in the midst of all these Chicago tough, you know, tough people. And let's look at her behavior. What's going through her mind. Mm. So that's sort of my answer to what I enjoy the most. I I love to be attracted to really uh, realistic stories, uh, well-told realistic stories. Then I could, if I were, again, still back in the classroom, I would be pulling students in. And from a reading standpoint, I I just keep rereading on practice is the way of being. Peter Vale's conjectures and why practice management. I mean, I can't put it down. Was that shameless? No. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Okay. If you're a Hulu fan, I've mentioned this a couple other times on the podcast, but listeners may be interested. In and of itself. Have you watched that? No. In and of itself. Okay. You're going to send me an email after you watch this. Please, please, please. It is. I've watched it four times and it's just an incredibly powerful, powerful production. I'll just, I, for, you know, I hope I'm not overselling it. So there's the, oh, so there's that in and of itself. And then, and then also when you mentioned the bear and I will put that on the list for sure, check it out. Mm-hmm. But I also, you, you said I would be using this in class. I was at the rock hall, the rock and roll hall of fame in Cleveland with my daughters last weekend. And wow. they have a, a Beatles exhibit right now where they're actually showing a, a special cut created by Peter Jackson of the final concert on the rooftop, right? Oh, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch that documentary, the Get Back documentary, but watching them sit in a room and try and create an album, that's a fascinating... I'm trying to figure out, because we're going to be with Greg Harris, the CEO of the Rock Hall this fall for class, and I'm trying to figure out, gosh, could I use the documentary Get Back? Because just the the dynamics in, in that are fascinating to watch. <laughs> well, you know, I could picture that on the roof on that last uh, last attempt. Yeah. And the word get back would come to mind. And what I would say is what they're trying to do is get back the feeling, the magic, however you want to name it, that they had, you know, now years before. Yeah. Can you rekindle that? Can you... Can you bring those those bonds back uh, since they've been somewhat torn? And sure. let's watch them go through. Now, the, the, then the next question would be, is the music different? Is it better? Is it, you know, what is it? Yes, the music's different. 
uh, it's a different Beatles, but they're still Beatles. So yeah, you could have a lot of a lot yeah. a lot of fun with that. And, and that one I will definitely look at. Okay. So I get a lot to watch. I'll have more, no more time to plug my book. <laughs> in <laughs> in and of itself, and for listeners, in and of itself. For listeners, you can find a bunch of resources to what Dave has been working on. I'm going to place those in the show notes, a link to his podcast, a link to the book. And I think it's just a wonderful opportunity to stay curious and follow an individual who has just given his life to learning and helping others uh, build that habit of mind and that way of being. Uh, To go back to our friend Peter Vale, a way of being. sir. We'll do this again. I hope so. I am so thankful for your time today. Have a wonderful rest of your summer. Good luck on pra- uh, good luck practicing on the course, <laughs> whichever course that might be. <laughs> the, the course of life. <laughs> okay. Take care. Thank be you, well. Scott. Okay. I have uh, four or five things going through my head, but there's there's a, a phrase or a word that that is coming to mind for me, which is mentor and, and also another uh, role model. I mean, Dave is a mentor from afar and a role model of someone I hope to be when, in his words, I'm knocking on the door of 80 or closing the book on the 70s. Uh, an individual who is still exploring and I don't know, maybe we'll be on episode 1,700 <laughs> of Phronesis. But I, I just, I'm so thankful for our interaction. And I'm, I'm so thankful for his role modeling of who I hope to be, who I hope to be, that uh, I am curious and producing and creative and exploring and practicing, practicing, practicing. So thank you so much, Dave. And I'm in the middle of The Bear, and it's a great series, powerful series. As he said, very well acted in so many of the dynamics that we speak of in leadership or organizational behavior are present and not present and could form the basis for some pretty incredible questions. Another thing I'm going to think about, and it's going to be kind of rumbling around my head for weeks and months to come, uh, leadership is summoned. Leadership is summoned, which is such an interesting way of thinking about the phenomenon of leadership. And then finally, I just want to say a shout out to a professor of mine and a professor of Dave's, Peter Vale. I think it's pretty incredible that people are still talking about his work as a scholar, as a practitioner, as an individual who modeled that curiosity for others. Uh, Just an incredible thinker. And so happy that Dave is continuing his work and helping it live out there in the world. You will see all kinds of links in the show notes, so please check those out. Dave, thank you for the incredible work that you do. Everyone, thank you for checking in. Be well. Bye-bye. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. 
One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.